0: Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Happy March! This year just seems to be flying by. Last week was a crazy week in the office. We all moved to a new floor in our offices, so we were busy organizing, packing, and moving. I know I personally had to take home all the fabric I had stashed in my office since our new cubicles are a little smaller. (laughs) Now we're all taking time this week to decorate our offices and make them more homey. You know where the quilting department in our offices is because I think we have the brightest and prettiest cubicles. (laughs) Speaking of decorating, we're chatting about displaying quilts in today's show, We're sharing some creative ideas for showcasing your work for all to enjoy. We're also sharing five questions to ask yourself when you're organizing your workspace, tips for making binding and labeling less painful, and stories of quilters making a difference in their communities. We end the episode with an interview with Bev McCullough of Flamingo Toes. It's a conversation you don't want to miss, so let's dive in. You've spent months making a quilt. It's finally finished. You think the hard part is over and you can finally enjoy your quilt. But where do you put it? Sometimes displaying your quilt is a challenge. I mean, we only have so many beds and couches, right? I'm here with Elizabeth Stumbo, the art director for American Patchwork and Quilting, to talk about where to display your quilts, how to display them, and some tricks of the trade for making them look their
1: best. Thanks, Lindsay. So displaying quilts can definitely be a challenge. I even know that to be true when I'm planning photography for our magazines. So we all know you can put a quilt on a bed, a couch, a wall, or a table. But we try our best to show quilts in some creative spaces and make it livable. Exactly.
0: So what are some ideas for displays that are a little out of the
1: ordinary? So railings and banisters on staircases are fun places to display quilts. If your staircase is a little more open, you may want to hang one on the bottom of the stairs off the handrail facing out into the room. And if you're lucky enough to have a second floor with a railing that overlooks the first floor, you can drape a quilt over the railing so you can see it from both floors. I love that idea. Yeah, it's such a simple way to display quilts and they can really add a punch of color to your staircases and landings.
0: You can also use a quilt as a faux headboard, so you can hang a larger quilt on the wall behind your bed, and it just is like a
1: striking piece of art, and it helps frame the bed. I love that idea, too. I know we've used that a couple of times in the pages of the magazine, and it always makes bedrooms look so beautiful.
0: Yeah, I think it especially works well when they're larger wall quilts. You don't want one that's not maybe the width of your bed. You definitely want it at least the width of your bed and taller at a little height. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And if you have a larger entryway, you can add a small wall quilt that is right there to greet you when you walk in. This is the ideal place for seasonal quilts, and they can be switched out often to provide a fun welcome all times of the year.
0: Another great idea is to stack quilts in a cabinet with glass doors or roll them into an oversized basket. This is especially useful in something like a guest bedroom or a living room so guests can just grab a quilt whenever
1: they feel cold. And of course we need to mention a quilt ladder. They are great because they usually fill those awkward skinny spaces in a room. They can hold multiple quilts and it makes it easy to switch out the quilts you have on display. I love all these ideas. It's just fun to look at your home in a new way
0: and think about what areas may need warmth or color or a touch of something soft and handmade and switching your quilts out periodically refreshes your space
1: and feels like your space is getting a makeover exactly so now let's talk about how to display those quilts one of the most common ways is by using a hanging sleeve and one of the easiest ways to add a hanging sleeve is to buy a pre-made one like quilters hang up then you can just pin the sleeve to the quilt you want to hang and switch out the sleeve to whatever quilt you want You can also make your own hanging sleeve. So for
0: larger quilts, you'll want a sleeve that spans the length of your quilt to really help support all that weight. But smaller quilts can usually handle just like small triangles in the corners to help hang. And we have great videos online of both of these methods that we'll share in the show notes. But this makes it easy to hang your quilts with like a dowel, a curtain rod, or
1: any other hangers. So Lindsay, speaking of curtain rods, you can also hang quilts using those curtain ring clips and you'll never even have to worry about using a hanging sleeve at all. So if you do this you'll want to switch out the quilt every so often to avoid permanent marks where the clips grasp the quilt. And I think this method works especially well for those small or medium sized wall quilts.
0: And if it's a tiny quilt, like maybe 12 inches or smaller, you can consider a display stand. So Ackfeld Wire sells lots of cute ones made especially for tiny quilts. These are fun to display on like a side table, a shelf, or in a display cabinet.
1: And you can get a little out of the box too. For the holidays, it's fun to hang a seasonal quilt on your door instead of a wreath. Instead of a normal hanger or rod, you can try hanging a Christmas quilt with a beautiful decorative ribbon or fall quilts look especially beautiful using one of those fake branches and artificial leaves. So you can just like let your imagination run wild. (laughs) Fun. So Elizabeth, do you have any fun display ideas in your own home? Yeah. So I purchased a poster hanger to display a mini wall quilt in my living room. It has two narrow wooden boards that sandwich the quilt top, and then that hangs from a piece of leather rope. Um, I've also purchased a couple of those large metal hinge clips. These are often called bulldog clips from a vintage shop, and I love to use these to create a mini gallery wall in my home office. The clips are great because I can easily swap out artwork and mini quilts as I finish new projects. So Lindsay, how about you? How do you display quilts in your house?
0: Um, Well, one of the creative ideas uh, that I use is I have a larger bookshelf with a sliding barn door in my living room, and I have a few quilts just rolled up and displayed on one of the bookshelves. It's so fun to see some cozy handmade items between my stacks of books. So now that we've shared some ideas for where to display quilts and how, we want to share a few tricks to make your quilts look their best while they're on display. So, Elizabeth, what secrets can you share from the photo studio?
1: (laughs) If you're hanging a quilt, it's a good idea to steam it to get wrinkles out and make sure it's hanging perfectly flat. That one extra step can really make the quilt look perfect on your wall. Speaking of wall quilts, you might want to consider your batting and your quilting.
0: A thicker batting and denser quilting will make the wall quilt look crisp and flat. On the other hand, if you're making a quilt for a couch or a bed, you want it to drape nicely. So consider a thinner batting, which makes the quilt
1: lighter, softer, and more drapeable. We notice that when we get quilts in the office to photograph, the quilts that are washed drape just so much better. Quilts are meant to be loved and worn, so washing a quilt and using a quilt will help give it that soft and cozy look we love. That's just one of the many reasons we especially love vintage quilts. Another tip is to remember
0: where the sunlight in your house is. If you're putting a quilt somewhere where it will be exposed to a lot of direct sunlight, you want to switch that quilt out often so it doesn't fade. I know I personally uh, have direct sunlight that comes in on my couch, which is where I display a lot of my quilts, so I make sure I switch those out about monthly just so I avoid any fading.
1: That's a really good reminder. You also want to consider the intended use of the quilt. Where will this quilt be going in your home? If you're putting it on a bed, be sure to measure your bed first and think about if you want the quilt to be turned back or tucked. Depending on your mattress size and height, you may need to adjust the quilt pattern to accommodate the size of your bed. And if you're planning on turning the quilt back at the top of the bed, make sure you choose a pretty backing fabric. Great point. Another example of planning for your space is
0: if you have like a round table you want a quilt for, maybe consider a round table topper instead of a rectangular one. Little details like that can make the quilts look built for your space and really be a pretty design element.
1: There's so many great ideas here, Lindsay. Um, We will be sure to link some sources and products in the show notes so you can shake up the way you display quilts in your home. It's so fun to use them in unexpected places. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you. We'll be back after
0: this quick ad break. I'm back with Elizabeth for Get Organized, a segment where we give storage tips for
1: your sewing space. As quilters, we know just how much space quilting can take over. In addition to all the spaces we need for our fabric stashes and our notions, we also need a good sized desk or tabletop to sew on. Trying to quilt on a cluttered workspace can often slow our progress and cause frustrations. We need room to spread out when we're organizing fabrics for some speedy chain piecing, playing with block arrangements, or adding borders to a king-size bed quilt, which is no easy feat. It's not. (laughs) No. (laughs) So if you find yourself constantly frustrated by the clutter on your workspace, you can start by asking yourself a few simple questions. The first question to ask yourself is, am I surrounded by only working functional items? When you sit or stand at your desk, every item within reach must be functional. Test every tool, supply, and machine. If you find dull scissors that can't be sharpened anymore or or broken tools, make the decision right then and there to toss them instead of holding on to them or donating them. If they don't work well for you, they won't work for anyone else either. And if you find that your desk is cluttered with a lot of tchotchkes or personal items that are sentimental... That these items are pretty to display, but not hardworking, consider moving some or all of them to shelves or display ledges. Remember that the primary focus of your desk should be function over display. The second question to ask yourself is, do I need more than one of these? Sewing supplies are sometimes sold in multiples or include refills. The extras can be saved in a drawer or cabinet elsewhere in the room. You don't need them clogging up your workspace. Next, you can ask yourself, what's my go-to choice? Embrace every personal preference for rulers, cutting and marking tools and other supplies. Only stock your favorite notions in your work zone since those are the ones you will always gravitate towards anyway. You can then let go of all the nice enough but not for you options. You can donate them to other quilters if you know that particular brand or tool is a favorite of theirs. And then another important question to ask yourself is, what do I actually use? keep only items that you frequently use on your workspace like rotary cutters, pins, or scissor snips. Place items that you use less regularly in in nearby shelves, drawers, or cabinets, and then only add them back to your workspace when you're working on a project that specifically calls for those items. And finally, if you find that your paper piles are taking over your workspace, begin sorting them by asking yourself if they are short-term or long-term papers. So a couple examples of short-term papers are things like patterns that you're currently working on or a magazine article that you haven't quite finished reading yet. You can then organize these short-term papers using vertical storage solutions like pinning them on a bulletin board right above your desk or using wall pockets. Long-term papers are things like machine instruction booklets or patterns that you aren't quite ready to start yet. These can easily be stored in a storage bin or in a file cabinet with hanging folders. So by asking yourself these five easy questions, you're already well on your way to creating a more functional and stress-free workspace. So then you can just focus on your next creative project.
0: Thanks so much, Elizabeth. We'll link to these five questions in the show notes so that you have a little more time to look at them, think through them, ask yourself these questions in your own sewing room. I know I need to do this as well, so thanks. That's so helpful. Thank you. I'm here with Doris Brunette, the editor of Quilt Sampler for the UFO Challenge, a segment where we address common finishing problems so that you can complete your UFOs.
2: Thanks, Lindsay. On this month's segment, I want to talk about binding and labeling tips. I've been known to get a quilt back from my long-arm quilter and let it marinate in a bag in the corner of my sewing room for a few <laughs> months before I finally put binding on it. I know it sounds ridiculous, but making and adding the binding is just not my favorite part of the process, so it's easy for me to ignore. And it, it's my favorite part of the is process. Is it? Yeah. And I know other people that that's their favorite too, especially the hand sewing yeah. it down because it's so <laughs> relaxing. So um, I have found a few practices that help me keep this procrastination from happening, though. Um, the first one is as you as soon as you finish the quilt top and you're getting the back ready for the quilting, go ahead and make your binding and attach a label or tag to the binding to remind yourself which quilt it's for. That way, once the quilting is done, you won't procrastinate due to the fact that you still have to make the binding before you can attach it. And that's probably where I get hung up, is I really don't like making the binding. <laughs> so if I do it right away, um, the other advantage to that is if you bought special fabric for the binding, um, you won't accidentally use it for something else while you're waiting for your quilt to be quilted yep. and ready for binding. So. Yep. Good tip. Um, and then know that it's okay to bind by machine. Um, I know a lot of people are against binding by machine, but unless you plan to submit your quilt, a show for judging, sewing your binding down by machine is completely okay. Once I found a good method of that binding for myself that worked good for me, it was a game changer. Consider holding the binding in place with Wonder Clips or washable Elmer's glue as this frees up your hands for sewing and you get a nice even binding and straight stitches. We always tell our readers that they should add a label to every quilt they make. I didn't when I first started, but as I've gotten older and I realize how you start to forget things that you thought you would always remember. <laughs> I realize how important this is. How many of us have old quilts from ancestors or even from yard sales that we wish the maker had labeled or signed just so we knew where they came from. And a label is always a nice reminder for the recipient of a gifted quilt um, that you're, of your gift to them. So a few tips to make sure you don't skip this step. Consider making a label that gets sewn into the binding, such as a square folded on the diagonal, and sewn into the corner of the quilt back and attached as two sides, excuse me, as two sides of the binding are attached. That's probably the easiest and quickest way to add a label. We had a reader tip a while back that suggested using an embroidery machine to add info on the binding itself prior to attaching it, which is a really good idea.
0: Yeah, it's clever. Yeah,
2: and we, sh- we show in a video on How People Quilt um, how you can do that with a fabric pen as well and just write the information directly on the binding. Um, if you have an extra block that you didn't use on the front of the quilt, consider using that on the back um, as your label. I've done that in the past when I've accidentally made one too many blocks. Or, I've had <laughs> or your test block. Extra, exactly, yeah. So it's a good way to use it. You don't have to like find extra piece of fabric to make a, make a label out of. So, And then you could also use one of the printable labels we have available for download on allpeoplequilt.com. Print them out, write your information on it, and attach it to the back of the quilt. And it's done. So please check out our tips for making quilt labels online. There's so much good information and great tips on our website.
0: Thanks Doris. We'll link to all of those tips in the show notes so that you can have them easily. I'm here with Allison Gam, the designer of Quilts and More, for Quilting Changes Everything, a segment where we share stories of quilters making a difference in their communities. Hi Allison. Hi Hi Lindsay. Every February 14th in Vancouver, Canada,
3: a memorial march takes place to honor families of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. In order to prepare for the march, a group of women gathered together on the weekends leading up to the event so they could sew red ribbon skirts to give to families attending the march. Jamie Smallboy came up with the idea after hearing about Agnes Woodward in Saskatchewan, who had led a similar project in 2019, where 150 red ribbon skirts were sewn and given away to families of the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Jamie said, I thought that was an incredible gesture of sisterhood and compassion and thought, why not bring that to Vancouver? Jamie and a group of friends were able to gather enough red material to start making 100 red ribbon skirts. As the weekends went on, more and more people from the community started getting involved in the project. It's been great seeing response from the community, So many people are willing to give their time or whatever they have available, said one of the event's co-organizers. For her, sewing red ribbon skirts for the families is a way of showing respect. It has been a very spiritual project for her to work on. One of the volunteers, Val Ferguson, learned about the project through Facebook and knew she wanted to get involved. She has marched in the event in years past. Val has a sister that has been missing since 1988. She said, this is my contribution to honoring her and honoring the other women who have gone missing. For many volunteers, this has been a way to bring awareness and healing to the community. It is said that the color red is not only a symbol of healing, but it is the only color that spirits are attracted to. Jamie said, if it's true that they are attracted to red and they see all of their loved ones marching together, hopefully they'll all come together and march with them.
0: I love hearing about that. That's, I'm sure it provides a lot of comfort to them mm-hmm. and just knowing that their spirits are around them during that time is great, right. A great bonding experience for the community, too yes.
3: All right, our next story is a great about a great young sower. The lemons being made by a fourth grader in Western Australia are anything but sour. These might just be the sweetest lemons you've ever come across. At the age of eight, Carly Walters founded Lemon AIDS, a nonprofit organization that raises money for families whose children have hearing loss. Carly has personal ties to this issue since her two younger sisters were diagnosed with permanent hearing loss. After the family discovered that the two girls had permanent hearing loss, they got them fitted for hearing aids. It's no surprise that hearing aids can be quite expensive. Their mother said, you're one of the lucky ones. If you lose those, we can't afford to replace them. Carly didn't think it was fair that most kids are unable to afford hearing aids, so she decided to do something about it. That's when Lemon AIDS was born. Initially Carly wanted to set up a lemonade stand, but that required special permits. The family decided they didn't want to deal with all the paperwork, so Carly decided to sew oversized lemons to sell instead. She grew up around her mom and grandmother sewing, so she knew how to use a machine and sew by hand. Carly said, at first I just made pillows, but now I can sew anything I put my mind to. Carly's mom cuts the fabric for the lemons. Carly then sews them on the machine, and her sister fills them with stuffing. All of the stems are sewn on by hand. Since they started this project, they have shipped over 2,000 lemons worldwide. They even had the opportunity to appear on Good Morning America, where they received a $5,000 donation from Here Strong Foundation. Carly said she plans to keep on making lemons even when she grows up. Lemonade's lemons are sold for $18 a piece and are available for
0: purchase online. Thanks, Allison. And we'll link to Carly's organization in the show notes so that you can get a lemon and help support her. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social. On today's interview, Joanna Bergerino, the editor of Quilts & More, Chats with Bev McCullough of Flamingo Toes. Bev is a quilter, sewer, embroiderer, and crafter. She does it all. She's a fabric designer with Riley Blake Designs, the author of the book Vintage Home Sewing, and is a talented pattern designer. You've even seen her designs in quilts in More Magazine. In their chat, Bev shares how she got her start quilting, why she chose the name Flamingo Toes for her blog, how she approached building her dream sewing space and landing on her signature modern vintagey
4: vibe. Enjoy! Hi, I'm here with Beverly McCullough, who's a fabric designer for Riley Blake Designs. Her latest line, Singing in the Rain, is coming out in March. Um, Bev, I'm so glad you're joining us. Can you give us a little bit of background about your life as a quilter? So I started sewing really young. My mom was
5: this, uh, made a lot of our clothes, and my dad was a watercolor artist. And so we kind of had this mentality that if we wanted something, we should make it rather than buy it. And we didn't have any money anyway, so it worked out good. And um, so it just kind of was the way things always were in our house, and I'm really thankful for that heritage because it kind of just trained me to think about how I could make something myself and how to... Um, just be creative kind of as a way of life so that was how I grew up and I'm really happy about that.
4: Now Bev I know that you blog under the name Flamingo Toes and I'm sure you get asked an awful lot about how you came up with that name can you share that with us? Yes so when I started my blog 10 years ago almost 10 years ago
5: um, I really didn't want to be pigeonholed into one craft, so I didn't want it to be sewing with Bev or embroidery with Bev. Um, So I wanted something fun and quirky because I wanted my website to be fun and quirky and used to collect flamingos back in college and thought, well, that would be a great fun thing. And um, it sort of stuck. I had no idea it was going to turn into a business, Um, of course I'm thrilled that it has, but. Um, Now I like that it's kind of different and stands out. And I get people that send me flamingo photos and say, hey, I thought of you, which you can't you know that's great (laughs) that's kind of a weird association it is a weird association but I love it because they're thinking of me and so I'll take it
4: (laughs) absolutely so I love how on your blog you describe yourself as having crafting ADD Uh, I can totally relate because I'm into way too many crafts what are some of your favorite crafts besides quilting and what brings you back to quilting when you haven't done it for a while
5: Well, I think my next favorite after quilting would be embroidery. I do that a lot. Um, And it's my kind of relaxing thing. So it's my reset button. If I've been sewing all day, I make sure I stop by dinner time so I have time to sit and embroider. And it's kind of like my way to relax, but it's also a way to be creative without, I don't know, it's kind of my way to reset everything. So I love that. But I also, I've done furniture refinishing. I've done just regular crafting. I've done... Um, pretty much
4: anything you can think of (laughs) cool so um, speaking of furniture refinishing and some of your other projects I saw on your blog that you recently redid your sewing space how did that come about describe what you did and then share what your favorite feature in your updated space is So my sewing room is
5: a converted sunroom. The people that lived in our house before us had um, a game room in there. Um, It's all finished and everything. But um, as soon as we saw the house, I was like, oh, that's mine. (laughs) I'll take that. So it took several years. But... I'm really excited about the space we've taken. We haven't really bought any new furniture for it. It's all been uh, remade pieces. So like my cutting table is a dresser that we added a top to and now it's um, double the width, but it's really big and my sewing table is two end tables that we made into a long table and then a lot of my furniture storage is antique pieces that we've found and they're not all the same, but that's I love that like vintagey eclectic look and so it's um, it's definitely great having a place for everything, but it also helps me kind of feel like this is where I, you know, I can come up with fun ideas and because it feels like very much like me. So
4: yeah, it has a lot of personality. So for people who like to repurpose furniture, where are some of your favorite places to get those pieces to work on?
5: Um, so I live in the South now in Nashville, um, and uh, you can't like go down the street without stumbling over something some great antique shop so a lot of the um and the prices are really good there too but I have found pieces at thrift stores like Goodwill and places like that. Um, so I think mostly, oh, and then in the fall, we have like what's called barn sales. Mm-hmm. So it, people, and it's a lot of time, it's just in a barn and they'll open it up and have all kinds of booths and um, stuff in the field. And we park in that. It took me forever to realize it's okay to park, like drive on the grass in the south. Um, so we just park and then, you know, find, find whatever we wanted. So it was, it was fun. That
4: it was sounds fun. like so much fun. Um, so what do you wish you knew when you first started quilting?
5: Oh gosh. Um, I think I had a hard to, hardest time, like kind of defining my own style. Like I felt insecure about, oh, I've got to have like a certain look or I've got to do a certain thing. And I think I had to realize that that's okay. Like it's okay to define your style as you go. Um, and so I, I, I felt like it was really good for me to make other designers' projects. Um, one, I learned a lot that way because there's so many people out there that know amazing things. But also I could kind of feel as I was going, okay, this is awesome and very pretty at the end, but this isn't super me. So then I was able to kind of gravitate more, a little bit more, and do more, you know, something that felt more me afterwards. So I was just kind of learning to kind of define my own style and and be okay with who I am in quilting
4: so so here's kind of a hard question but how do you usually define your style do you have anything that you usually add to your quilts that you know it's distinctly you or you find in many many of your quilts um I love pretty much anything vintage inspired so
5: a lot of the ideas that I gravitate towards are remaking um old designs, but not quite so hard. (laughs) I love grandmother's flower garden quilts. I love those hexies, but I don't have time to sew 85,000 one inch hexies. So like one of my new patterns that um, I've just recently designed is a oversized. So there's only like, I think six (laughs) vintage, you know, the flower garden hexies, but they're huge. Um, So I love taking those ideas and kind of making them a little bit easier for current quilters and faster and that kind of thing.
4: I love that. I feel like a lot of quilters wish they had more time to just get to the fun part. Okay, so now I'm going to transition to some rapid-fire questions. So, number one, what do you listen to while you're quilting?
5: Um, I am all over the place when it comes to music, so I'll switch from um, soundtracks. I really We're big movie buffs, so we listen to a lot of soundtracks, Um, but then I also love 70s stuff like anything that you would hear in guardians of the galaxy i'm all about that and then i love you know maroon 5 and all the current stuff so i'm you know all over the place you have good taste so what is your current obsession and it can be about anything (laughs) so i'm all about tea um and i love um not store-bought tea um because those seem really like smooshed and sad, but I love doing loose leaf teas. So I go into little bitty tea shops and find fun, uh, flavors and varieties and things like that. And I've even done some combining of my own. So I really like making my own tea blends. Okay.
4: Uh, number three, what is your favorite
5: color palette? That's really hard. Um, but I like vintagey colors. So I think aqua, pink, red, um, I've got yellow in my newest collection. I'm really excited about that. And not like bright yellow, but like mustardy kind of vintage colors.
4: I can see that. Okay. Yeah. And finally, what's one little thing that always brightens your day? Um,
5: I would have to say having my puppies around. Um, I have a German Shepherd who's three now and a Golden Retriever who's two. And they get along really great and they're very silly girls. But I love taking sewing breaks and going outside and playing with them and hanging out with my girls.
4: awesome I have a dog I love very much too so I, I know how that goes thank you so much for your time Bev it's been a pleasure chatting with you
5: thank
4: you I loved Joanna's
0: chat with Bev Bev just took over our Instagram for a weekend takeover a few weeks ago so you may already be familiar with her if not we'll link to her blog fabrics and social media sites in the show notes so that you can connect with her more before we leave today, I wanted to quickly highlight a review of our podcast. This review is from Take.Arnie. She says, I am a new quilter at my semi retired age, and this podcast has many, many tips, ideas, wonderful guest speakers, and I often feel as though I am within the conversation. It has also introduced me to well known quilters, artists, and techniques. I look forward to each podcast. Thank you so much for listening, Take.Arnie. We're so excited that you're learning to quilt. So if this review is yours, please reach out to us at apqpodcast at meredith.com so we can send you a little gift. Remember, if you love this podcast, please leave us a review. We may feature yours on an upcoming episode.